Hey, everybody. We want to thank you all who have supported the show. And anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over 100 episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to 100-plus episodes. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau, and we're back talking about sustainability again. But probably in a way that most people don't necessarily tie to sustainability. So one of Anna Britton's executive director of Napa Green's seven strands of sustainability of the definition of sustainability is social equity, diversity, and inclusion. That's not something we think about with sustainability all the time. Anna, why did you include this in your definition? Well, actually, I mean, social equity and diversity have just gotten kind of sidelined or or overlooked over time in the sustainability conversation. But let's face it, you can't have environmental or economic sustainability without social sustainability. This is actually the foundation of sustainability, and it's just gotten sidelined in the conversation, and we need to really bring it back front and center in the conversation. And this is things like what we might think of as basic, you know, things like a good living wage and benefits, but it's going beyond that to opportunities for advancement within an organization. When you're onboarding employees, making them aware of your sustainability practices, giving them an opportunity to have an input. One thing we've seen that's really successful is making sure the vineyard team has an opportunity to come into the winery and the winery team has the opportunity to go out into the vineyard and connect with all aspects of the business. And all of this often rolls into your ROI, your return on investment, because this often means employees that are more engaged in your business and they stay longer. One of our key indicators of social sustainability is employee retention, is how long employees have stayed with your business. And if you lose people quickly, you're losing all that money having to retrain someone, get someone back up to speed. And so this is an area that is so, so foundational to sustainability, and we need to be elevating this in the conversation. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we're continuing our series on sustainability, and today we're talking about DEI initiatives in the wine industry. And our guest is Mariam Ahmed, founder of Merriman Company, which is a Napa-based consulting firm that creates food and beverage educational programs. But you may also know her from the Psalm TV series, Sparklers. Miriam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Could you please give me and Peter a brief overview of your background? Sure. I have been in the beverage industry since before I was actually allowed to consume wine, <laughs> pre-21. I kind of discovered early on the like power of wine and its connection to people and then the connections among people that happen because of wine. And that really like led my journey through all of the career decisions I've made thus far. So I have my undergrad from Cornell Hotel School, and then I found my way into the wine industry in the Finger Lakes and then moved into distribution in New York City. And I absolutely loved that. But I kept meeting people from the West Coast during my role in distribution and everyone had this glow about them. And I was like, I think I'm on the wrong side of this wine equation here, living through the winters of New York, ready for a change. And so I actually ended up packing up and moving across the country to Walla Walla, Washington in 2013 to pursue my degree in enology and viticulture. And I graduated from that program in 2015 and then moved to California, to Napa specifically, about seven years ago to work for the Culinary Institute of America 
to offer education programs to the enthusiast or like the wine lover, food lover. And those were hour-long programs all the way to week-long immersive programs. Really lit my passion for continued education for any facet, whether that be industry members or consumers or conscious consumers. And I just have kept on throughout my whole career working toward that and just working toward bridging this gap of what we know and what we want to do about it. So from all facets of the industry, distribution to entertainment, I've had a little hand in in all of it. And now I'm full-time consulting with Marion and Company. So diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI is what the acronym show isn't two hours long, is core to what you do. For context, could you tell us what Merriam and Company does? And I know you started the Diversity Wine Leadership Forum as well, and give us a little overview of that too. For context, Merriam and Company offers educational programs and strategic initiatives to our clients in the food and wine industry. And what that really means at the end of the day is our clients are looking to deliver a message to their audience, whether that's the industry or the consumer or their internal community of like staff or board to really elevate what their thought leadership is in a certain category or to just express a message about something really cool that they're doing, whether that's a product launch or getting really deep into their sustainability and diversity goals. So while Merriam and Company consistently delivers on client's goal to further their diversity and sustainability initiatives, we're oftentimes talking about things that really have have nothing to do with those topics, but that can still further the goals of what people are trying to achieve in sustainability and diversity. And just to give an example, you know, we could be talking just very simply about Pinot Noir and its pairings. But when we do that, we're going to be talking from an inclusive standpoint, building a program around different avenues than have been previously explored, whether that's different food pairings or new voices that brands haven't engaged with prior, just really like opening up our perspective and the world of wine to have more language, have more voices contributing to how we learn about wine and experience wine. Oh, and then I can tell you about the Diversity in Wine Leadership Forum. So the Diversity in Wine Leadership Forum was created in 2020 in August. I co-founded the forum with Elaine Chukon Brown. And basically the purpose of beginning the forum was that I had done a significant amount of work in nonprofit and I saw so many industry initiatives emerging to tackle, you know, inequity in the wine industry especially and there were so many existing organizations as well. And I had this feeling this intuition that with this plethora of of new organizations, we would all be coming to a similar pool of sponsors, applicants, board members, potential supporters. And I just felt like there would maybe end up being this innate gut reaction to compete when what we're all trying to do is create equity. And if we could come together to talk through some of the challenges that we're facing or the initiatives that we've created or best practices that we've implemented, we might be able to achieve the goal of an equitable wine industry a lot faster than we would doing these things in silo. And while each organization, of course, exists to deliver a certain give back or equity initiative to the industry, 
working together has already like shown huge strides by comparison to doing it alone. So I use the forum as a place of collaboration. We bring together leaders of the organizations that are really specifically focused on equity, right? Not folks, not organizations that have an DEI committee or an arm, but organizations that are really at the end of the day, pulling people together or bringing in applicants to tackle these equity and diversity issues in the wine industry. They need that space that's supportive, that can kind of facilitate ideation and just generally like building sustainability within the organizations themselves. And then the forum also offers education outwardly to the wine industry at large. We partner with Akila Kaday, Dr. Akila Kaday from Change Kaday, which is a consulting firm based in Oakland. And the forum offers a educational series called Do the Work. And that series is foundational DEI knowledge, but with this nuance and understanding that the food and wine industry is so very different from a lot of other industries. We work in a lot of gray area and how can we have a space where people can ask the questions they need to ask to build better workplaces that then in turn support all of the work that these organizations are doing to create more equity in the industry. So everything about Merriam and Company is is very ecosystem driven, right? If we're creating something, we're also then an ideal world, creating that like safe holder space for it to actually come to fruition. So as I mentioned in the intro, this is part of a broader series of sustainability from our talk with Anna Britton of Napa Green. And she mentioned that this includes social equity, diversity, inclusion as one of the pillars of sustainability. It's not super obvious, I think, to a lot of people why DEI would be included in the definition of sustainability. Maybe we could start with how you define sustainability and why you think DEI is a critical element of sustainability. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's hard for people to understand this, but it is an obvious choice when we think about sustainability because the basic pillars of sustainability are economics, environment, and equity. And I think, unfortunately, for the world over, not just the wine industry, sustainability has been totally greenwashed. So when we think of the word sustainability, we're really like driven from marketing initiatives to all kinds of subliminal reasons to only think about the environment. And that has to change because we cannot have safe and sustainable environment without also creating safety and sustainability for the people who are responsible for managing the environment, especially, right? So I think we've really been greenwashed into this definition of sustainability when really, when you back it out, something, when we talk about something being sustainable, it's, yeah, it has to be financially viable. Like this has to work. It has to be environmentally sustainable in that we can continue to do this for generations and generations. And that has to do not just with the land, but with the people. So we have to create equity measures that maintain sustainability for the people that are in our systems. And when we're talking about wine, especially, this has so much to do with, of course, labor, with leadership positions, with access to education, with elevation within our industry. There's so much there from a sustainability standpoint that has to do with equity in the wine industry. So it is an obvious choice to me. So obviously you covered a couple of reasons why you think it's critical, but in terms of areas that you think, in terms of breaking down between diversity, equity, and inclusion, is there, is there an area that is more critical or are they all equally critical? Within diversity, equity, or inclusion, 
they all have to be elements, right? We're also missing uh, B, which is belonging. So uh, a lot of other frameworks is DEIB. And so what we're, we really need all of them in order for it to work. But we can't just stop at diversity. If we stopped at diversity, it would just mean we have this specific target that we're trying to hit from a, nu- a numeric or ratio standpoint. And if we stop there, then we're not really critically looking at where those diverse individuals are within the ecosystem of, let's just say, the wine industry. When we talk about equity, now we're getting much more into the day to day of what needs to happen in the changes that we're looking for in the wine industry, which is that people have equitable access to education, to elevation within the industry. And that is a big piece that many of these organizations from the Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum are focusing on because it's an area where there's a lot of gatekeeping. When we're talking about inclusion, and then like I said, that B, which is belonging, it's this idea that well, okay, we're diverse because we have all these folks who work for us in hospitality or at the hourly wage standpoint. So we're a diverse company. But like now we have these people in our workplace. Do they feel like they should work there? Do they feel engaged? Are they excited? That's this inclusion element. And even further, belonging, feeling like they do work in a supportive space, feeling like they can show up as their authentic selves without feeling like there's certain elements of the workplace that are, you know, either toxic or have a lot of like microaggressions built in. So all of those things are really important. Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum is the name of the forum, but there's so much more. I mean, even just in wine leadership also ties back to this idea of like, yeah, we've got to build equity, which means we need more people throughout the wine industry in various positions. So we can't stop at diversity if we're using diversity, we have to understand that equity, inclusion, and belonging are also part of the equation. And for Merriman Company, you run or organize programs that have DEI at its core. How do these programs, what kind of programs do you do and how do these programs work? So a lot of what I do is behind the scenes, which I actually really like because it's very similar to how I got into wine. Just seeing like what wine's impacts on people can really be. So a lot of my focus is working on clients and I can work for an association, meaning a company that's made up of a lot of members or a portfolio, which is a very similar structure or one-on-one with specific wine business or nonprofit. And what I'm doing is working with those orgs that have shown a demonstration or a demonstrated commitment to diversity and equity and sustainability within their org to help them broaden their network. So we're sometimes at a stage where an organization has created accountability for themselves on all fronts of sustainability, and they're at a point at which they need some accountability consulting to get their message out there further. So I'll work with them to engage with diverse content creators or diverse voices that can help amplify what they are trying to do, which will in turn help them further their diversity goals while at the same time hold them accountable to them. A lot of the programs that I focus on are conference or panel development, sometimes even like building boards. And so what we're doing there is Why, when we're talking about bringing diversity to a program, for instance, you've probably seen this, 
when we're talking about bringing diversity to like a conference or educational program, it's in the nature generally to just create a panel about diversity (laughs) instead of (laughs) just have a conversation about a topic and let the topic be represented by diverse individuals. It's a really easy, simple, like reverse thinking or rethinking of a concept, but it's not very intuitive for folks. So a lot of what I do in developing the educational side of programs is like, I help people understand that broadening the perspective, going outside of the pool of folks that are always on stage or always asked to be an ambassador, et cetera, will actually contribute more to their business. It'll broaden their network. It'll create more like interaction with new markets for their business. And then at the end of the day, for me, I get to help create access and kind of remove these gatekeeping barriers as fast as I can in different pockets of the industry, wherever possible, so that we can really have a more representative group of people furthering the wine industry than who we might have previously thought of appropriate to further the wine industry. Can you give us some specific examples of the work that you've done? And maybe then we can understand like the costs associated with running these programs, not just for Merriman Company, but the total cost of the the whole program and, and what the benefits are as well. Yeah. I mean, what I'll do is actually start with a Merriman Company program because it's one thing to work on another client's budget a whole other thing to go in with your own company, right? So in 2022, I launched Field Blends, which is a wine travel program. And that is to travel to regions that don't necessarily always get the spotlight, but that are doing really, really amazing work. And so we went to Walla Walla in June of 2022. And my goal with this program was to have it open to wine professionals and wine consumers. So there's not a lot of trips out there that are appropriate for both of those audiences. But I think that's part of our barrier problem in the wine industry. So I said, let's try it. In addition to that, I offered scholarship seats as part of the program. Those scholarship seats were available to diverse candidates. And then we worked with regional boards within each location. Well, really within Walla Walla. I'm going to Finger Lakes in June, so I'm in both locations in my mind. But we go to the regional boards or associations to support these programs so that I'm not putting the financial stress or like a huge commitment or ask onto individual brands to further this narrative. And Why I brought this one up is because there's both like sort of an implicit ROI and an explicit ROI. And so for these regions, and especially these regional boards, there's not a lot of diverse travelers that make it. I mean, Washington state is far, (laughs) first of all. And every single person that we brought to Walla Walla had never been to Walla Walla before. So whether you're a wine pro or a wine consumer. I've never been. No, you've got to go. You've got to go. <laughs> Let me know because I'd love to put an itinerary together for you, Peter. But I think like what I'm trying to say about the regional support is now all of a sudden we have this new consumers in our region. People who are actively pursuing wine, whether they're conscious consumers or wine professionals, and want to know about what's going on in these regions, and then who end up leaving and championing the regions for a long time to come. And then in addition to what the regions experience, the individual wineries, I think for me, what we wanted to do with that program was, how can we have the most like 
diverse representation of what is going on in that region while also exploring something so much more than wine, right? What are we doing to understand the agriculture, the land, the labor that goes on behind the scenes that a lot of us don't ever really see? And every time we left a place, some of which were the most like, they don't open their doors. We went to Cayuse Vineyards and did, we were there for almost four hours with this group. And a lot of folks in the industry know you, you don't even go, you know, it's very rare. And they're have like thanking us for bringing people who are asking questions, who are challenging these wineries or brands or farms, et cetera, to think about things differently or reframe questions that they've answered very traditionally before. So that's this like implicit value, right? But the explicit value is like, we're advertising these regions. There's more eyes proven on these regions, on this program, on these wineries, creating like longer term ROI for these folks. And then of course, there's the financial contribution that these people make while they're in the region that we make as far as using local vendors and just being extremely thoughtful about the supply chain. And it's a small but mighty example of truly like how easy, but also how rewarding it can be to rethink how we've done things in the past. And then for client work, I'm really proud to work with the Wine Writers Symposium. This is a symposium that's put on annually by the Napa Valley Vintners and Meadowood Napa Valley. And the program itself has been in existence for a long time. And over time, we've explored like different constructs of speakers, mentorship, just implementing more access to even the application process itself. And when everything went dark in 2020 and 2021, these organizations said, we're not going to stop, but we need to figure out how to continue our program in, in a viable way. And so we turned everything online. And so an explicit value of rethinking, okay, how do we not do everything the way we used to do it? How can we create more access, include more speakers, et cetera, was pulling this program into virtual where 30 people historically have been able to attend. And then we were able to bring in over 300. So we're like working, not only the virtual format allow for that, but also the type of speaker, the areas within wine communication we had represented, like just again, these small tweaks to how we think about things and design things can completely amplify a message or bring in new audiences. And the longer term benefit of that is we've seen various publications engage diverse writers. We've seen diverse writers receive jobs from this program. And that is financial contribution on both sides, right? So at the end of the day, like for me, I'm always focusing on what is our revenue generator, aka how is this program economically sustainable? How are we retaining or engaging the folks that are meant to benefit from this program? And how does this impact like the relevance or reputation of the client? And that piece has to, we have to make sure that piece is never performative. So that's why my clients have this demonstrated commitment to diversity and sustainability because. I really don't want to just hand out cookies for people who are like, we want to do the right thing, but can you do it for us? <laughs> you mentioned a program that sounded interesting to me. It sounded like you're connecting people with more like diverse influencers to both amplify their message, but also leading to accountability of their 
of their responsibility and their their programs. How is that different than what's the difference, especially in terms of like ROI or things like that, versus just working with regular influencers, we'll call them? So that's a great question. I think from my end and from my experience, just so for anyone listening, I'm not an influencer in the traditional sense, right? I don't have 80,000 followers on Instagram and I don't post TikToks, but I do pay attention and I pay attention to people's circle of influence. So I think something that brands recognize probably this year and in 2021 was this idea of the micro-influencer. And so folks who, especially within the diverse community, are you know between, let's say, sub 10,000 followers on Instagram, how much influence those folks actually have. It's tremendous. It really is. And that ROI, as how we measure it, is it is sales conversion, right? At the end of the day, we're still running some kind of campaign, but it is also this new market conversion, right? Like, how are we activating in a market? I'll just use an example. I've worked with Cliff family quite a bit from my days in the Culinary Institute and, and even in my support in, around education. I, I love using their wines. And they had asked me a question about how could we really expand this? They have all these food products. They have amazing wine. And I was like, I think you could create more impact letting these micro-influencers tell you what they want to do than you telling them what you want them to do. And this is like, not again, literally just this tiny little turn of the dial of how should we think about this? And in the end, they ended up getting some really, really cool engagement that maybe wouldn't have otherwise because people were allowed to bring their ideas. And I just don't think that it's that difficult to leave room for creativity when, especially when you're trying to really deliver or like pursue creating a more equitable wine industry, like letting the voices in is such a big piece of our work and how we can create ROI for our own brands. But these are folks who, you know, we had someone create posts about with the food, about like the food she makes for her kids, you know, and being a mom, being a wine mom, or someone creating a charcuterie board that's like super not a charcuterie board, but the kinds of little snacks we want to eat, something really spicy or, you know, like just getting out of the box on this traditional, like super polished, very clean imagery, engaging very specific people that don't really invite diverse tasters or drinkers or customers into the conversation, you know? Would also help. I mean, you also start to see the same thing over and over just from different accounts. It's basically yeah. you're spoon feeding the message and that's not really influence. And I'm wondering, do you think that sometimes that's a culprit of engaging with like PR companies and kind of like having that wall between the actual client and the influencer and as, as opposed to doing the work and actually like talking to them about what they want to do with their products? Like, is that what you yeah. said? That little, that little, that little snippet is actually super important. Like, hey, talk to them and see what they want to do and like brainstorm together, like come up with something together as opposed to like, here's my program. Okay, you 50 influencers, go, go say the soundbite. I mean, to be fair, I think that so many of the campaigns that happen are collaborative because there are many influencers out there that are above that, let's say, let's just say above the 10K follower, that they are collaborative and they have a huge amount of integrity putting their name on something. They're like, I'm not going to do something that doesn't fit with my brand. But there's a lot out there that isn't that, right? And so I think what the culprit really is, is bandwidth. 
it's sort of very similar. It's just like, yeah, we have to get this content out, just keep pushing content. But it's the same checklist mentality as when we're talking about DEI. And like, I just got to check these boxes to make this happen and they'll all be fine. And it's like, actually, probably statistically not, right? (laughs) So what are the key selling points of DEI programs for wine businesses? There are so many, but I think for wine, especially, I feel like all we're hearing right now is the gloom and doom of the wine customers no more, right? Like the wine industry is just taking a huge hit because of RTD, sorry, ready to drink beverages because of all these other categories that have come up and out of a period of true innovation, right? So for wine businesses, a huge bonus for DEI is just the creativity that comes with multiple perspectives operating within your organization. And that is so huge because all of a sudden we're thinking about things differently. If we are all the same gender or the same ethnicity, et cetera, in a room, like what variety really from a broad marketing standpoint are we going to bring our customer or segment, right? And then you're talking about wanting to broaden your customer segment because we're losing the customers. How can we do that if we all like look the same and have very similar experiences? We can't. So creativity is a huge part. I would say that with the caveat of those voices that are diverse have to be in the room where creativity is taken to execution, right? So that means like we have to get people into leadership positions or we have to be truly collaborative within our organizations and look beyond this hierarchy that exists within our org to just be more representative of our own companies. So that's a big bonus is just this innate creativity your organization will have. The other is problem solving. Internally, that same creativity that could come from this like very homogenous group of people could actually create problems for other markets or could be problematic. And if you have people within the organization that are representative, they could, someone could be like, oh, that's actually not like what we should do. That's not a direction that I think would be of great impact. In fact, we might actually cause some problems. So they could save time and then therefore money with like catching things that might be problematic. Caveat there is not putting all of the responsibility of DEI onto the people who are diverse within your company. So you know, everyone's got to be in on that problem solving mentality. We can't just be looking to the people who are diverse to solve every problem that has to do with diversity in our company. And then, like I said, all of these things, like the creativity, the problem solving, just lead to attracting new markets or creating relevance within new markets. And at the end of the day, it's this constant conversation we hear in wine of we are not gaining wine consumers. We're losing wine consumers. So if that's true, why are brands like not looking toward market segments with a ton of spending power and buying power? The Latinx community, the Black community, who have historically really just not been included in even just the storytelling of the wine industry have so much buying power and we're leaving it on the table. And they're underrepresented in exactly. wine, right? Like exactly. compared to other groups. So there's bigger opportunity to capture, even just to get to normal market share. For sure. But a question. So a lot of wine businesses, including a lot of ones I work with, are really small, like not even necessarily in terms of revenue, but in terms of people. So like 
in Napa, I think where you're based, right? There's a lot of wineries are run by like two to three, sometimes even one person, right? It's just like doing everything. How does that work then? Like how you could, it would be a very high percentage of diversity. <laughs> There's two people and one of them was there, but that, that's challenging, right? When, when the numbers are so small. Yeah. And I think that's, it's a great point. So many of the businesses, even in Napa, are family run and, and very small. And so at the end of the day, the series that we offer through the forum called Do the Work is called Do the Work for a reason, right? So inevitably, at some point, you're going to have to make a decision to get on this continuous journey of learning and unlearning in order to do your part to create equity in the world, but also in the wine world. And so if you're a small business, it doesn't exempt you from the similar effort that is made on a large scale basis. It just is physically smaller because you have a smaller team. So there are ways, I would say, for both small and large businesses to get outside of what they have known so far. And I think for both, it's really like, this starting with outreach. So if you're a small brand, one person, maybe three people on your team, what does it look like when you get on your company's social platforms? Who, whose messaging are you seeing? What communities are you following? If that's homogenous, change it. Start following other people. Do some work. Some of these publications, like if I could just shout out Wine Enthusiasts because they just released their Future 40 in October and I was very proudly gracing the cover of that magazine. I feel like just going to these pubs that are doing the work like to highlight people who are moving the needle on these issues that everyone keeps saying they don't really know where to start, just go follow them. Like just start there. And You'll see like social is just such a powerful way to move the needle on a small brand because if you're really engaged and you're in it, you will start to see support come in. Like we've, this is why social has the power that it has today, right? It goes for the IRL or in real life connection as well. I think we are really in this era of no more excuses <laughs> when it comes to diversity work. And so if you're like, well, I don't know anyone in a diverse community, that is an excuse, not a reason. There's so many orgs within, especially within agricultural communities or even in large metropolitan areas that you could engage with to broaden your community. And just like the, that's a small step toward this really big ripple effect on outreach and how you can engage with individuals to impact your broader markets. So that's a really good explanation of the excuses. We talked about bandwidth earlier or others. What, what are the other things that block wine businesses from wanting to do a lot of the work? Well, I think it's important for people to, to understand because there's a lot of shame around it. Like even that question, it's like a, this immediate feeling of like uh, shame or guilt maybe that people feel. And so it's important that we recognize this work is personal and professional. It's really, you're not going to learn how to do this professionally without also having a look inside. And you're not going to have a look inside without also asking, what is my workplace doing to create their own diversity, equity, and inclusion within this industry? They are so tied that we have to understand that question that you asked is the reaction is so high because it elicits a 100% feeling from us from a personal and professional side. But the other things that stop people from 
doing this work and why I started with that explanation is number one, I don't want to be wrong. I'm embarrassed. Like, I don't want to get it wrong. We've been like so conditioned in our lives to not like just try and fail. Fail forward is like what I tell a lot of my clients. Fail forward. As long as you learn something, we're growing, we're doing, you know? So I think being wrong or embarrassed, all of those like words and feelings that uphold the current dominant structure we live in today are a barrier and a reason why people don't pursue the work. Making other people feel uncomfortable is another reason. So we get that a lot from leaders. We get that a lot from people who are like, well, we want to do it, but like we don't, we want to do it halfway. Or like we want to do it with like a sprinkle on top, you know, but we don't really want to make people feel uncomfortable. You got, you understand us, right? And we're like, well, discomfort is part of the work. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable, as Dr. Kade says, is it's part of the work. So we have to just know going in that these are barriers we're going to experience when we start talking about how people can further their DEI goals. They're not reason enough to not do the work, but they are barriers to people doing the work. So when we look at DEI from an industry perspective, there are a lot of groups, nonprofits and programs that have been developed for this space. What are the general themes of all these groups? As far as the organizations that participate in the forum and others, like what we're seeing thematically in my head, it's like four things. It's these orgs are committed to creating access. They're committed to creating elevation within the industry. They are committed to education and then inclusion. So those are kind of the buckets right now that I see a lot of work being done. The the additional piece to that is like all of it ties back to sustainability. We're just doing the sustainability work from a DEI lens. But this these organizations are also teaching about environmental sustainability or economic sustainability. And I can give you like a couple of examples. So with access and elevation, there's an organization called Wine Unify. This organization offers scholarships through the WSET programs for people to start their wine education or kind of grow their wine education so that they can move into leadership positions. So, or, you know, higher paid positions, et cetera. So like their focus is education as far as what they're providing in order to deliver access and elevation within the wine industry. Another couple of organizations like the Lyft Collective, they just recently launched an entrepreneurship program. And a big piece of that is how can we create more sustainable entrepreneurship pathways within wine, which is really tied to this idea of like some folks who come from diverse backgrounds have just been gatekept at every turn. So the easier thing to do is go out and start their own thing. Except of course, it's actually not very easy to do that, right? To run your own thing. So they created an entrepreneurship program that takes into account what it is to be a like someone who's been marginalized their whole life running a business in the wine industry, which is of course like dominantly white and dominantly male led. So that's work that they're doing that creates financial viability for the entrepreneurs, but then also I think really ripples out to who those entrepreneurs will work with and who they'll support right within the wine industry. And I also think about like 280 Project and industry sessions. These are 
again, all this is on the Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum website. There's We have over 20 orgs. But those folks are like immersed, are creating immersive education. And that education is from a black and brown lens versus the traditional lens we receive education from a lot of the time, which again is like predominantly, <laughs> you know, Eurocentric. So there's so much that these orgs are doing that are focused around access, elevation, education, and inclusion that ripples into the wine industry like tenfold. And you see when these groups come together that the like catalytic way that all of their initiatives like move forward once they start coming together. And someone's like a pro at having an educational component. Someone else is a pro at like pulling in sponsors. Someone else is a pro at building boards. And now all of a sudden, like all of the orgs are more sustainable together. But yeah, I think one of the things that is so important about the forum is it's recognizing that we all need each other to do what we're doing. And that one thing really can't stand alone as far as an initiative. Like if we just give everyone more education, but we don't create more opportunities for elevation within the industry, then all we're really doing is encouraging people to become more educated and make the same amount of money or stay in the same level position. So we need all of these initiatives, but we do also need them to come together because it just makes the impact happen so much more quickly and collaboratively. Yeah. I mean, one of the things it's interesting, like, so like obviously that all of these DI initiatives are kind of in the, the kind of mindset of, of everyone, both the, in the industry, but also in the, in the consumer side. And it's kind of of the moment and that's great. But in order to like make sure it stays there and becomes practice, it's really important for these programs to be measurable. And I'm curious on there's so many different programs out there. Are there some that are doing it better in terms of like being able to articulate, like, why is this good for your business and how do they measure it and actually help make sure that it becomes kind of best practice, what good looks like for the industry going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on who you're talking to, right? Are you talking to a CMO or are you talking to a head of HR? How are we, what is the ROI you're really looking for? And let's all be honest, it's not the same when you're talking to a marketer or director of HR. So when we're talking about these programs and their efficacy, we are also reporting on KPIs that are very driven by the orgs themselves, not necessarily driven like by external factors or what companies want to hear all the time. But I would just say like, it's very easy to measure how many job placements has this organization successfully offered? How many people have come through an apprenticeship program? There's organizations like Aivoy and Batonage that are doing, and Our Legacy Harvested that are doing these like really cool, hands-on, immersive, rotational internships. And those folks have ended up staying within the company most of the time. It's like, you can measure that. How many people have been awarded scholarships and successfully passed the educational initiatives that those scholarships were for? There's so many. I'm just like, my brain is moving faster than my mouth is. But also, like, I think from the financial side of it, how nonprofits have to report. So where's the money going and how effective has that money been? There's also a lot of folks that are successfully fundraising from the traditional, like, corporate sponsorship side and also the auction or gala or small business or giving Tuesday, all those things where there you can just see who has the visibility, right? 
And I think the reportability like internally for us, for the forum is people who've done do the work series. We've educated over 150 wine professionals from all over the world in the three sessions that we've offered. And it's a numbers game. It's about people that are then going back into their internal organizations to push these things forward. So I think that's like the ripple, but everything that the orgs are doing are is measurable. But before we can even really be talking about like, we can talk about measurable impacts. I don't want to say we can't. We have to remember that we are not operating from an equitable industry. So the effort right now and has been for some time is so focused on how can we even make the wine industry more representative of the people who should be part of these conversations, who should have these positions. We have to do that as we go into this process of creating an equitable industry, creating an inclusive industry, creating an industry where people feel like they belong. And it's it all takes time. But it's just important to remember that we are not currently operating from an equitable industry. So we have to remember to ask more questions or different questions around performance and purpose. You're on a SOM TV show, uh, a Sparklers. How do you think media helps spread the word and impact of DEI? Well, first of all, SOM TV Sparklers was amazing. I love working with that cast and crew to create something totally different on their platform. And I think that's just the sort of lead in into how media can make a difference, right? Media can make a huge difference by having diverse people represented in their shows and their storytelling. I think they can also make a difference behind the scenes. I think there are so many people who I've spoken to in the wine industry and at large who want these opportunities that, again, like really don't have a intuitive pathway in. So like people who are holding the camera, people who are directing, people who are producing, how can we create those opportunities within media? And so that's another area that I think media can impact our diverse community. And then again, I I mean, I feel like I'm just sort of repeating myself, but like allowing people to tell stories in their way. And if we can't get there through traditional media, trust that this community of amazing up-and-comer like professionals will figure out how to do it on their own. We're already seeing it happen. So let's sort of like work with them, you know, to create what could be something really magical and different on your platform versus telling them how the story is going to go and telling them how to tell it. Well, we'd like to wrap up every episode on a personal note. And I'm, we're curious on what was the most memorable wine you've had in the last year and who did you drink it with? So this is actually really funny since we talked about SOM TV, but the most memorable is the Piper Heights Tech Rare Champagne Vintage 2006 that I had a restaurant called Apollonia in Chicago this June. And it was the morning after we went to the James Beard Award ceremony for being nominated for the media award for our Sam TV Sparklers cooking competition show. So I was with the cast of the show as well as director Jason Wise and his wife, Christina. And we were hosted by Philippe Andre, of course, the consummate host. And that bottle is so beautiful. If you haven't seen it, it has like this amazing artistic 
like foiled crown as the label and you can actually take it off and wear the crown. So of course we did that. All of us just (laughs) had an amazing time like laughing and having fun. And the wine was absolutely beautiful. And that restaurant is, it was just, it felt so nice to be in a hospitality space again like that, because it just feels like those experiences have been few and far between over the past few years. And it was a very special bottle and moment. And just one of those days where you're like, wow, I was just at the James Beard Awards because we were nominated. That's crazy and so cool. And that bottle just sticks with that memory too, you know, stands alone. But it's also like, yeah, always whenever I drink the rare champagne from Piper Heidsick, I will always think of Chicago and like the day after the James Beard Awards and the people I was with. So it was awesome. And actually, Elaine Chukon Brown was also nominated this year. And so Elaine was there as well, which was super cool. So we were all there together. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that memory, as well as so much knowledge and insights around how uh, DEI is a part of sustainability for the wine industry and how people are actually using it in a lot of great examples. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope it's been helpful. And I'm here if anyone has any questions or if I can be of service to anybody. Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash xchateau. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.